I don't know about you guys, but every single time that I remember when you say beer can in an English accent, it also sounds like you're saying bacon in a Jamaican accent. I can keep myself busy with that for like three fucking hours. Welcome to the Atomic Skull Podcast, you crazies. My name is Matt, and I am going to do this shit in one take. I do not have time to do this in two takes, so the pressure is on. Here we fucking go. The first thing I want to talk about right up top is the heat. And I have to imagine, as someone who's listening to this garbage, starting an episode off with how about this weather we're having seems like a bad move. That's usually the shit that you get into when you're out of things to say. But hear me out, because I'm going to do my best to try to weave some dick jokes into it. I do appreciate those who have reached out to me asking if I'm doing okay with how hot it is. And yeah, it's fucking hot. It hit 119 a couple of days back. And there hasn't been a day that's been less than 112 in weeks. Even at night, it's triple digits. I am sweating in the fucking shower. Every summer when Arizona yet again makes some kind of heat record, I have people reach out to me and ask me how I'm staying alive. And this year's no different. So I want to give everyone who isn't from AZ the scoop on how we make it work when we're out here in the middle of the fucking summer. It's the secret of the pros. Rule number one, as someone who has worked in some sort of people-facing job pretty much the entire time I've lived in Arizona, I can tell you that we all bitch about the heat just as much as you would. I gotta be careful to not slip into a Bill Engvall bit here, but every single year, people will talk about how they don't remember it being this hot the year before, and they're idiots. It was definitely this fucking hot last year, and it will certainly be this fucking hot next year. Sometimes it stays hotter longer, which is happening now, and it's a total pain in the ass. But last year, for example, it was a little more forgiving. It still got hot, but not for quite this long. From the tail end of June until the middle or so of September, it's triple digits. No exceptions. Every year during that specific time, I get people bitching to me about how hot it is. And I've kind of gotten tired of it. So now I'm just a dick. And my stock response for everyone who says that is first summer in Arizona, I'm such an asshole. Which brings me to rule number two, which anyone dealing with this weather will agree with me. After it hits 110 degrees, it doesn't matter what temperature it is. 110 degrees and 117 degrees doesn't really feel any different. It just feels fucking hot. The highest temperature that I specifically remember since living here was 124 degrees. And that was definitely not the business, but it just still felt hot. And then rule number three is you stay inside. A couple of people who did reach out to me have asked if I've been living in the pool. The swimming doesn't happen during the day. The swimming happens at night. During the day, you don't go anywhere unless you absolutely have to. You stay inside at home and you hope to God that your air conditioner doesn't go out on you, which does happen. Everyone down here has a story of when their air conditioner took a shit right in the dead of summer. That's the sociological equivalent of a purple heart in Arizona. Aside from those things, there's nothing else other than to just 
deal with it, which is what we're all doing. I'm still wearing black head to toe, and yes, I hate it, and no, I'm not going to stop. Suck my ass. I am just going to wake up every day and fantasize about Halloween like I do, because by the time we get there, we will have some of the most beautiful weather in the country. All right, let's talk about the whole Jason Aldean thing, because I just want to get it out of the way. I don't see any avenue that I can take with this conversation where I'm able to weave in a pussy joke, so I'm already bored with it. But one, I've had enough people reach out to me wanting me to bring it up on the program, and two, I gotta fill 25 minutes a week, and I'm out here looking for whatever gets the job done. So here we are. Three little prerequisites that I wanna bring up before I dive into this horseshit. First is, I made a promise to you guys that I would do my absolute best to steer anything I talk about on the show away from politics, and I do intend to continue to stick to that here, but we'll see how it goes. Second, my life, my brain, and my back hair all tend to exist in the gray area, and I do my best to keep my thoughts as abstract as I can. So if you're expecting me to land on one side or the other of this whole thing, you're going to be very disappointed. I don't really have any desire to pick a side on the issue or any issue. My interest is in deconstructing and dismantling it. And then third, what I'm going to tell you is how I think and what I feel about the situation here. That doesn't make me right. That doesn't make me wrong. It is the perspective of a dude who works 40 plus hours a week, pays taxes, and owns a microphone. That doesn't make me special. It just makes me opinionated like everybody else. But also, I am married, which means that I am reminded on a regular basis that I am wrong about most things. This might be one of those. I don't know. If how you feel about it is different enough from how I feel about it, reach out to me. And I want you to give me your side of the conversation. Atomic Skull Podcast at gmail.com. All right, boys, hold on to your butts. So the first question that is front and center with this whole controversy is Jason Aldean being overtly racist with this song. Actually, let's take a couple of steps back before we even get into that. You know he didn't even write the fucking song, don't you? A handful of songwriters that you've never heard of wrote the song, gave it to his producers, who told him to sing it. He learned the fucking words, learned the chords, recorded a vocal track, puts on a sexy little outfit, and performs it on tour. Which, if you think about it, makes Jason Aldean have more in common with Britney Spears than Johnny Cash. He's one of those ones that got into country music because that's what happened to be around him. If he grew up in Seattle, he would have been a grunge singer. If he grew up in Detroit, he might have been a rapper. But he grew up in Macon, Georgia, which, by the way, has a predominantly African-American population. So whatever small town Aldine is talking about in the song ain't the one that he's from. But he grew up in rural Georgia. And that gives him two choices of music to learn and perform, country and western. So he learned country music and stayed in his nice, safe little comfort zone as he got older and became famous, which is all completely fine. The problem that I have is the boundary, specifically in country music, particularly over the last 15 years or so, 
where your success and credibility lies in how much of a country lifestyle that your fans think you live and how sexfully you can dress like a cowboy to get all the girls to fucking go gaga over you while singing your watered down polished country hits as opposed to making music that's even worth a little bit of a damn. I call that the Florida Georgia line. Is the song overtly racist? For me, no. I don't think so. Depending on your interpretation, it dances pretty close to the envelope. I will give you that. The thing is that music is in the ear of the beholder. A racist message may not be getting sent, but he can't stop a racist message from being received. That being said, I'm not letting him off the hook because whether you think the song is racist or not, there is no way around the fact that the song is divisive and that's one of the things that pisses me off the most. Have we not had enough divisiveness in this particular issue to deal with over the last couple of years? Did someone order more of it for the table? and not tell me because I am tired of having to split the bill on this shit that wasn't cleared through me first. I have one question about the lyrics in particular that I would like someone who is a staunch supporter of the song to answer for me. There is a lyric in the song, quote, they say one day they're going to round up. My question is, who is they? Because I don't see any answer to that question that isn't going to be a problem. That's about as close as I'm going to get to the political aspect of this whole thing. Now, let's talk about small towns for a second. Because I lived in a very small, predominantly white, extremely conservative town in Arizona for several years in my 20s. And I got to tell you, there was a pretty high level of acceptable racism in that town. I'll never forget sitting at a coffee shop and I overheard, and I'm going to give this to you verbatim because it is etched in my memory forever. This was an old white man. Quote, I'm not racist. I just have white pride. End quote. I don't even have time to unpack that little chestnut. I have shit to do later. The lyrics to the song in question talk about people who live in a small town taking care of their own and being raised right. As someone who lived in a small town, as an objective outsider, I will be the first to admit that those things are 100% attributes of a small town. Now this small town that I lived in was surrounded by other small towns that I visited frequently. And I can also tell you that the song in question left out a few other small town trademarks that are not so awesome like meth, homophobia, religious exclusivism, and the fact that everybody fucks everybody. I guess the writers for the Jason Aldean song couldn't find anything that rhymed with polycule. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, all those shitty things you mentioned aren't limited to small towns. Those happen in big cities too. That just so happens to be how I feel about the good things that are mentioned in the song about small towns. And none of this is to say that I have a problem with the fact that the song was released. If there's an audience for it and it does something for someone that doesn't directly harm anyone else, I'm good with it. But it's the fans of the song that are turning this whole thing into a situation. Half of the arguments I've seen in favor of the song talk about how if you're offended by the song, you're the problem. 
The other half of the arguments I've seen in favor of the song say that the song is way less offensive than that WAP song. In the words of John Mulaney, that's like comparing lobster and Skittles. Fuck that. I want to compare apples to apples. So let's talk about the Dixie Chicks. I guess they're just called the Chicks now, but I may slip and say the Dixie Chicks a few times because I grew up with it and I apologize in advance. How is it that fans of country music are 100% in favor of Jason Aldean singing about what he is supposedly believing in, but there were Dixie Chicks CD burnings because Natalie Maines said one little sentence between songs off the cuff in England? Does that not seem like one hell of a double standard? We are completely okay with you speaking your mind and sharing what you believe as long as the narrative fits within the confines of the genre and the fans who listen to it. That is one hell of an asterisk there, is it not? And that's the thing that I've realized is that nobody cares about what you think unless you agree with them. And that statement isn't just limited to this issue or music. Now, this is the part where I take a little bit of a left turn. Regardless of what I think of the song, I would have no problem applauding the man for standing up for something that he believes in and taking a risk. But remember how I said that Jason Aldean is like Britney Spears? He had this song given to him by producers and then record label executives decided to include it on the album. He didn't have much of a say at all. Everyone is up in arms about the music video for the song, which also wasn't his choice. Where it was filmed, the footage that was included, those decisions were all made by the director of the music video. The video was storyboarded weeks before Aldean showed up to film his parts, and he was basically just copied and pasted in there. He hasn't been part of one single goddamn decision about the song, and he may not actually believe a fucking word of it but he's got skin in the game now. So he sure as shit wants his fans to think that he believes in it. He's relaying his safe ass message to a fan base that he knows will 100% agree with him. And as far as the people who don't agree with him, he's learning right now that there's no such thing as bad press. He's probably making pennies for the song, but he is making a mint on tour, selling merchandise, and enjoying all the fame and attention. And can you blame him? If you even try to tell me you wouldn't do the same thing that he's doing, you're fucking lying to me and yourself. Who wouldn't be doing exactly what he's doing right now if they were in his extremely expensive boots that no one in his audience can afford? And he better fucking love it all because he's definitely bargaining for more than he can chew. If you think about it, he's kind of stuck. If he backtracks on the perception of the song, even one iota, his fan base will turn on him and his career will be over. I don't envy him at all. He has no choice but to go further into this whole thing no matter what he believes. He may learn something down the line that he didn't realize or have his perspective changed, but he can't say that because his fans will completely turn on him and that fucking sucks. I am tired of talking about it, but I want to end the whole thing with a question, which by the way, is not being asked by anybody when this whole thing gets brought up. Here is my question. Is the song good? No, it's fucking not. If we're all going to get up in arms over a song like this, could we at least do it for a song that's worth the fight? It's like arguing over the best toppings on a Papa John's pizza. It doesn't fucking matter because it's going to taste like barf. 
There's your food metaphor for the week, by the way. At the end of the day, I'm usually a fan of messages that lift people up without putting others down. This country, this world is full of small towns with tight-knit communities that do look out for each other. And that's something that you love to see. But as someone who's been treated like an outsider their whole lives, you don't have to remind me that I'm an outsider to be proud of where you live. Holy shit, I feel like that came across way more poignant than I was actually shooting for. Speaking of getting in trouble for using music to make a statement, we're going to jump back to 1992. And I want to tell you guys a different story of someone who got in a lot of trouble. And that was the late Sinead O'Connor, who died just this last week. The story of what Sinead did was very different, but it weirdly hits a lot of the same bus stops when I think about it. She sang a song that someone else wrote and got everyone very upset, particularly with the imagery that went along with the song that she was singing. Sinead was invited to perform as the musical guest on Saturday Night Live. Her first song was her big hit at the time, which has nothing to do with this story. The second song was her singing an acapella version of War by Bob Marley. Now, during rehearsals for the show that week, when she ran through the song, she held up a picture of a young child to the camera and ripped it up while changing the lyrics of the song to reflect child abuse. Very dramatic, made a statement. During the live broadcast, she held up a picture of the Pope at the time, John Paul II, I think, and ripped it up while singing the lyrics, Fight the Real Enemy, still in protest of child abuse, which happened to Sinead as a young girl in Ireland by Catholic priests. Lorne Michaels, the producer and creator of Saturday Night Live, oh my god, you guys, I'm so sorry to break off, but I read that Lorne is looking to retire and NBC wants to replace him with Tina Fey, and I'm so fucking here for that. I love Tina Fey, and sketch comedy is so near and dear to her heart. I'm rooting for that 100%, and I'm making it the best of the week. I don't even care if it's not confirmed. The rumor of that happening is the best of the week. Also, fun fact that nobody cares about, Lorne Michaels is the inspiration behind Dr. Evil from Austin Powers. Mike Myers is literally just doing a Lorne Michaels impression and petting a hairless cat. Back when Sinead finished the performance of the song, Lorne was pissed that she blindsided the show and ordered the applause sign to be turned off. And then he immediately banned her from the show for life. Now, this is where Sinead and Jason Aldean split off in different directions. Jason is a sexy boy country singer with songs like Big Green Tractor and Rolex on a Redneck. No bullshit. And that's totally fine. I'm giving him none shit for having those songs. But Sinead was a, and this is something she labeled herself as, she was a protest singer. She was outspoken about mental health and rampant child abuse in the priesthood. In 2023, being outspoken about those things and ripping up a picture of the Pope, it like, that's just a fucking Tuesday. But back in 1992, mental health wasn't even a term. Nobody was even aware of what priests were doing and shit like that. For me, I wasn't the biggest fan of where and when she chose to do what she did. But I still applaud that she did it because that's what a protest is. A protest is supposed to interrupt your regularly scheduled life to make a statement about some shit that matters that you need to think about a little extra. I don't know about y'all, but I am most definitely not 
smart or righteous enough to tell anyone when, where, or how they're allowed to protest. Even those Westboro Baptist lunatics, fuck them, but also can't take it away from them. And while Jason Aldean is riding the wave of popularity all the way to the bank with this whole thing, he's also kind of quietly changing the music video for damage control. Sinead refused to apologize for anything. She was out there asking everyone, why are you getting so mad at me when pious men of God are fucking children? And in the long run, she was right. She was fucking right. Meanwhile, either a couple of days or a couple of weeks, I'm not going to look up the exact timeline, you guys, I'm fucking tired. But she was at a Bob Dylan tribute show, I think at Madison Square Garden, and tried to perform the song again, and she was literally booed off stage. And after that, she was officially canceled. Again, before canceling was even a term. She was dropped by a record label, her agency, she was unbookable, and she gave not one single shit. She stood up for something that affected her personally, and it cost her a mainstream career. Jason Aldean is singing to his fan base and becoming more popular for it. Think about that the next time you hear about how ballsy anyone is for doing whatever edgy shit that they're doing. Like Morrissey, releasing a statement yelling at everybody for not appreciating Sinead O'Connor when she was alive. That's so fucking on brand for him, and it's not provocative. Dude just always needs something to bitch about for some reason. Worst of the week is Morrissey, using Sinead O'Connor's death as a way to get his name in the news articles. I'm not saying that I disagree with him. I'm just saying that the world doesn't always need his fucking opinion. Go eat some hummus, Mr. Man. This part might be a little bit weird, but I am going to be doing Nothing Compares to You for Song of the Week, which was Sinead's big, huge, massive hit. But I'm not as big of a fan of Sinead's version as I am of the original, which was written and performed by one of my favorite artists of all time. And he is making his debut on the Atomic Skull podcast Songs of the Week playlist, which you can find on Spotify. DM me for a link if you need it. Is my main man, Prince. His version is different from Sinead's and I like it better. If you've only heard Sinead's version of Nothing Compares to You and you've never heard Prince's version, check it out because it's good. It's really good. And that's the bullshit this week, you weirdos. I didn't mean to have music protest Bogart this whole episode, but San Diego Comic-Con this year gave me fuck all to talk about because of the actor's strike and the fact that no big movie studios were there. So here you find me. Follow me on all the socials, you guys, at Atomic Skull Podcast. I don't update them as much as I want to because work is still kicking my ass all over the damn place. But I assume one day things will slow down just enough for me to do something on there. And then I'll just need to figure out what the fuck to do. <laughs> Ugh, I'm tired, boss. Next week, I have an idea of what it is that I want to do. It is a logistics situation more than anything. So we're going to see if we can make it happen. And then the big 5-0 is coming up after that. You guys, I released the very first episode of this show one year ago this week. And I'm not going to get too emotional or weird on you right now. 
but I want to give an extra, extra heartfelt thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. I appreciate so much everyone who is still out here from the beginning. Everyone who has jumped on the party bus with us and tells me that they love hearing this garbage. It is pretty amazing. I get to talk about what it is that I want to talk about every week. And the idea that people are listening for a fucking year is pretty fucking cool. And the fact that people like it for some crazy reason is even fucking cooler. I still have a lot of stuff to talk about that I keep pushing off, and I think that's amazing. So you are going to find me here week after week as long as I can swing it. But right now, I gotta go take a shit. So apologies to my mother-in-law, and how are you doing? 